Part 8 of The Story of Peterloo by Francis Archibald Bruton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Manchester Yeomanry in Difficulties We have now arrived at the most dramatic moment in the whole story, and it may be well to review the situation before coming to the fateful decision which completed the tragedy. One troop of the Manchester and Salford Yeomanry, perhaps consisting of fifty or sixty men, was now practically enveloped in the huge crowd. So serious did Mr. Holton consider the case to be, that he stated at the trial that he, quote, saw what appeared to be a general resistance. The Manchester Yeomanry he conceived to be completely defeated. His idea of their danger arose from his seeing sticks flourished in the air, as well as brickbats thrown about. We have also, however, the testimony of an officer of regulars as to the situation, Lieutenant Sir W. Jolliffe, who afterwards charged the crowd with the hussars, says, The Manchester Yeomanry were scattered in small groups over the greater part of the field, literally hemmed up and wedged into the mob, so that they were powerless either to make an impression or to escape. In fact, they were in the power of those whom they were designed to overawe, and it required only a glance to discover their helpless position, and the necessity of our being brought to the rescue. There are two points on which the evidence is hopelessly conflicting. The first is the question of the use of missiles by the crowd. There is no method of discussing the question except that of quoting the various testimonies. Mr. Holton stated that his reason for thinking the yeomanry in danger was that he saw sticks flourished in the air and brickbacks thrown about, and, quote, that he saw what appeared to be a general resistance. He afterwards said at the trial, I have not stated that bricks and stones were levelled at the yeomanry, and I can't swear it. They were thrown in defiance of the military. Mr. Stanley, on the other hand, says, I saw nothing that gave me an idea of resistance, except in one or two spots where they showed some disinclination to abandon their banners. These impulses, however, were but momentary. Their sticks, as far as came under my observation, were ordinary walking sticks, I've heard from the most respectable authority that the cavalry were assailed by stones during the short time they halted previous to their charge. I do not wish to contradict positive assertions. What a person sees must be true. My evidence on that point can only be negative. I certainly saw nothing of the sort, and my eyes were fixed most steadily upon them, and I think that I must have seen any stone larger than a pebble, at the short distance at which I stood, and with the commanding view I had. I indeed saw no missile weapons used throughout the whole transaction, but as I have before stated, the dust at the hustings soon partially obscured everything that took place near that particular spot. But no doubt the people defended themselves to the best of their power, as it was absolutely impossible for them to get away and give the cavalry a clear passage till the outer part of the mob had fallen back. Bamford admits that when a number of Middleton people who were pressed by the yeomanry, retreated to the timber lying in front of the friend's meeting-house. They, quote, defended themselves with stones which they found there. And he tells of a young married woman who defended herself here for some time, and at length, being herself wounded, threw a fragment of brick, with the result that one of the yeomanry was unhorsed and dangerously wounded. This incident is confirmed by the report in the Chronicle which runs... Another yeomanry man was unhorsed at the same moment, and his life with difficulty saved. This was near the Quaker's meeting-house, where a furious battle raged. 
the same paper mentions large stones at the trials it was stated in defence of the magistrates that previous to the meeting the town surveyor had carefully cleared the ground of all stones but that after it was over a cartload of stones and bricks was picked up mr tyus the reporter for the times says emphatically that when the yeomanry rode into the crowd not a brick bat was thrown at them not a pistol was fired during this period all was quiet and orderly as if the cavalry had been the friends of the multitude and they had marched as such into the midst of them as soon as hunt and johnson had jumped from the wagon a cry was made by the cavalry have at their flags in consequence they immediately dashed not only at the flags that were in the wagon but those which were posted among the crowd cutting most indiscriminately to the right and the left in order to get at them this set the people running in all directions and it was not until this act had been committed that any brickbats were hurled at the military from that moment the manchester yeomanry lost all command of their temper one of those who held on to his banner till it was struck from his hand and his shoulder was divided by one of the manchester yeomanry whom he recognised was the middleton journeyman thomas redford three years later in eighteen twenty two this man sued members of the manchester yeomanry for assault at a famous trial which took place at lancaster after the lapse of a century perhaps we may while trying to take an impartial view agree with what mr hobhouse said on this subject in the house of commons in may eighteen twenty one in supporting sir francis burdett's motion for inquiry he defied proof that the people began it when once they were attacked what could you expect were people in the quiet exercise of one of their most undoubted privileges to be unresistingly bayoneted sabred trampled under foot without raising a hand or if the noble lord would allow without putting their hands in their pockets for the stones they had brought with them the reverend mr stanley who watched the proceedings from a room above the magistrates saw no stones or sticks used the mention of pockets is a reference to a report that some of the crowd wore smocks with large pockets in which they brought stones to the meeting the second question that gave rise to much discussion at the trials and elsewhere was whether the riot act was read before the second body of troops was directed to charge the crowd it was emphatically stated at the trial that the act was read distinctly twice once from the magistrate's window mr stanley who stood at the window immediately above the magistrates was closely questioned on this point at the trial in eighteen twenty two he said i neither heard it read nor saw it read similar testimony was given by mr mckennell who stood on the steps of mr buxton's house throughout the proceedings further discussion of this point is unnecessary because it seems to be fairly generally admitted that if the riot act was read as it may well have been in a perfunctory way no one whom it concerned had any knowledge of the fact and supposing again that it was read the time that elapsed between the reading of the act and the charge of the troops was much less than that prescribed by the act itself End of part 8